Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams. I'm the host of this show. I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316, primarily because we're on Highway 316. If you're a local, check us out. Our website is calvary316.tv. Our service is at 1030. If you want to swing by, would love for you to be my guest. Uh, if you're not local but are just kind of interested in the church or our teaching ministry, uh, you can learn more about that or access our media archive at c 316 uh, dot TV as well. Uh, Calvary316.tv is the website. C316.tv uh, is our media hub, although we also own the dot coms, dot nets, dot orgs, uh, all of them. I do hope that you stay with me over the next hour or so as we seek to deconstruct the negative perceptions that the world has of Christians by boldly and brashly, let me just say it this way, by having real dialogue. And it's along that, that, that line of thinking that I just want to open the show by making a bit of a confession. If you know me at all, the truth is that I am a deeply competitive person. <laughs> I know, right? And Adams, if you know anything about the Adams family, for us to be competitive, that, that sounds crazy, right? And yet, I am deeply competitive. Whether it's, I don't know, some type of a hereditary disorder or part of my overt masculine identity, uh, maybe a, a, uh, a psychological compensation that I developed since I was small as a child, um, or it's just simply a bizarre quirk to my already terrible personality. Uh, the truth is that I absolutely hate losing. I, I'm just super competitive. And, and I want you to know that, and just confession, me and you, the audience... I know that's not a good thing at all. Do you know I am, I am so competitive, and this is not an exaggeration, uh, that I quit playing golf for a decade for one reason. The very moment my two younger brothers started hitting the golf ball further than me, I just couldn't take it anymore. I'd get so irritated, <laughs> so frustrated by getting my tail kicked by my two younger brothers that I quit. I quit playing golf. Like the competitive nature within me is so extreme. As as you know, I, I was a youth pastor for 10 years. I was so competitive that I had to stop playing dodgeball with middle school students because I was too intense. Like we called it death ball. It was one of my favorite things about middle school ministry because you could just rear back and throw a ball at a middle school student as hard as you physically could, and it was okay because you were playing a game. It, it got out of control. Fact is, we loved to play volleyball with the high school youth group, but I couldn't do it. I just was too intense. We built a volleyball court and played sand volleyball, and just the competitive juices would get going, and I couldn't control it like the competitive compulsion within me is so extreme that as a t-ball coach and i'm not happy about this but as a t-ball coach my family has to give me an hour or so just to allow me to decompress after taking a loss like to this day my wife jessica is reluctant reluctant is a nice way of saying it but she's reluctant to be my partner when we play spades. I'm just, I'm too intense. Now, now for the record, my wife cheats at Skippo, so that streak kind of goes both ways. She hates to lose as well. And I know, just confessional, you and me, the audience, being real, having a raw conversation. I know that that personality, this over-competitiveness, I know that it is far from Christ-like. And, and once again, if I'm being just honest and, and raw, but my competitiveness, it, it even carries over to church life. I know this is going to sound terrible, but I'm just being transparent. Like I can say, the Lord adds to the church. I can say that. And the scripture says that. Uh, I believe that. But if I'm being honest, like, I don't think Jesus is doing that in my context fast enough. Like, at least for my liking. 
And, and now don't, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not discontent with the amazing work that God is doing at, at Calvary 316, or for that matter, through the Outlaw Radio Show. Like, I appreciate what the Lord is doing, but it's just that within my competitive nature, I want the church that I pastor, Calvary 316, and this radio show to be the biggest and baddest around. And I know that that's wrong. Like, once again, I'm telling you all this to be openly transparent that I have issues. Like, I have problems. Like, as I'm sure that you know, the struggle between my sinful flesh and the, and the Holy Spirit living inside of me, man, that struggle is real. Like, I don't like this competitive proclivity. I really don't. Like, it's why I stopped playing athletics. I, I hated the way that it made me feel, that I couldn't control it. Like, I know it's not a healthy thing, and I'm painfully aware that this is an area in my life that Jesus is wanting to transform, that he's wanting to work this out of me. And man, I have a long way to go. Now, I mention this because when I approach the Bible, when I approach whether I'm teaching at Calvary 316 or I'm prepping a radio show, like like it's my prayer that whatever I'm communicating to you comes from a place of, of, of not just curiosity, but if it's scripturally related, like like I want God to teach me a truth, to reveal a truth to me, uh, to speak to me. And then I in turn just turn around and I share that with you. Once again, whether it's the church or, or you, the listening audience of the Outlaw Radio Show, because I think if I've experienced something, if it's hitting me personally, then when I articulate it, it's more powerful that way. Like every Sunday... Like, it's my desire to expound on the living word of God from the context that the words first come alive to me. Recently, I was working my way through John chapter 3. The first part of the chapter is this incredible conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. An amazing conversation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that, that you must be born again. To see the kingdom of God. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a gnarly chapter. But at the very end of the chapter, like the last eight or so verses, uh, are often kind of just kind of read through because it's a conversation that John the Baptist, I, I like to call him John the Baptizer, just so I don't offend Methodists. Like it's not that he was a Baptist, uh, he baptized. So I call him John the Baptizer, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, to be nice to the other denominations. <laughs> I don't even know why I'm saying that because I'm not Baptist. Anyway, at the end of the chapter, J John the Baptizer is having this conversation with his disciples. Um, and it's a fascinating conversation. And as I was studying it, um, really intending to just kind of, you know, spend 10, 15 minutes on it so I could then get to Jesus and the woman at the well, which is where chapter four of John opens. And as I was doing my sermon prep, as I was working through it, <laughs> I listened to a Bible study by David Guzik, and he didn't spend the whole time on this point. As a matter of fact, it, it, maybe, it maybe took five to 10 minutes of time, but man, it so spoke to me, so convicted me. I, I mean, I mean, really, as I'm working through my Bible study, it, you know, the Lord was, I mean, I was getting a right hook, a left hook bloody nose as I'm typing on my computer, just the Lord was working me over about this, this spirit of competitiveness and how I've allowed that to enter my ministry and how wrong it is. And like, I was convicted over it. And this ended up becoming a whole Bible study that I did, uh, beginning with John 3, verse 22. If you want a whole Bible study in its entirety, go to c316.tv, uh, go back into the archive, you'll find it. But, but let me kind of set the scene here for you. Jesus leaves Jerusalem, and he goes to the Jordan River, and Jesus is teaching the people, and Jesus' disciples are baptizing people. It's, it's likely Jesus' message was very similar to that of John the Baptist, a message of repentance over sin, and as a way of response to the message, you could be baptized, kind of an outward demonstration of this decision to repent of your sin, preparing the way for the Messiah. Now, what's interesting is is that Jesus is ministering, he's teaching, and, and he's baptizing, and the same 
on the same street, basically, as John the Baptist and his disciples. And so you have on the same block Jesus ministering and and John ministering, right? And yet something's happening. Uh, Not only is is John and John's disciples getting into these these arguments about purification, um, but Jesus' ministry begins to dwarf like that of, of John's. Like John's popularity begins to take a back seat to Jesus's growing popularity. They're, they're ministering on the same street, the same block, reaching the same group of people. And John's disciples are, are worried. Like, like, as a matter of fact, they come to him at the end of the chapter and they're like, Rabbi, this guy who is with you beyond the Jordan, whom you testified of, that, you know, that, that he's the Christ. Like he's baptizing and all are coming to him. Jesus, we got a problem. Like this is not good. Like these develop, the developments, everybody, they're leaving us and they're going to Jesus. What's the deal with this? And I love, I love John's reaction. John 3 verse 27, this is what, this is what John said. He says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bridegroom is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is John's reaction to this news that all were coming to Jesus and his popularity was waning. Like it, it, it was true, right? I mean, I mean the facts on the ground. Jesus was now drawing larger crowds than John the baptizer. And yet it doesn't bother John at all. Yeah, yeah, his disciples. His disciples fall into this trap, right? Of a competitive spirit, but but not so with John. And so in order to ex- expand the perspective of these worried disciples. In the passage that I just read, John does something very important. He lists five reasons why competitiveness is stupid and why this dynamic didn't bother him at all. And in today's episode, like I want to go through just kind of systematically these five reasons, the five things Jesus, uh, John lays out uh, in verses 27 through 30 of John chapter 3. Now first, John wasn't bothered by this dynamic. Like he, 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 he didn't fall into the trap of competitiveness. And, and here's why. John knew, oh, and we so, we so lose sight of this. But John knew that all ministry, like every ministry opportunity that you're given is just that. It's given. All ministry is a gift from God. Like, like in, in John 3, verse 27, I'll read it again. John says, a man, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You see, John, John rightly forgot, I mean, rightly understood something that so many forget when it comes to ministry. And that's the fact that John wasn't owed anything. He wasn't owed a thing. Like John clearly recognized that his ministry of preparing the way for Jesus had been given to him. John's declining influence, it wasn't an affront to his pride or his sense of self-worth because he knew he hadn't earned his ministry, nor did he deserve it. It wasn't something that he had built for himself from the ground up and therefore possessed or owned. John hadn't created the opportunity for himself. Instead, in an act of grace, it was God who decided to include John in his work. The opportunity was something John had been given from heaven and something he had received. We're going to pick up this thought. We're going to build upon it. Don't go anywhere. There'll be more here on the Outlaw Radio Show. Hi, my name is David Guzik, and I'm a friend of Zach and the entire team at Outlaw Radio. One of the things I like most about Outlaw Radio is Zach's desire to challenge Christians to think critically, ask relevant questions, and then pursue answers on their own. The sad reality is too many Christians don't know what they believe, 
yet alone why they believe what they do. This is why, in addition to Outlaw Radio tackling the tough topics you might not hear at church on Sundays, their desire is to equip, inspire, and challenge you to dig into God's Word and wrestle with these complex topics on your own. To help you in this process, Zach wanted me to let you all know of two free resources essential for any serious Bible student. Aside from my full Bible commentary available at EnduringWord.com, the resources you can access at BlueLetterBible.org will truly transform the way you study the Bible. Aside from their treasure trove of free commentaries, BlueLetterBible.org also has an incredible word search function, making it easy to dive into the original languages behind a biblical text. So if you want to dig deeper into your study of Scripture, check out EnduringWord.com as well as BlueLetterBible.org. We'll go back to the Outlaw Radio Show. As I mentioned in our opening block, uh, I'm a deeply competitive person, and, and I don't like it. Like, I know it's not Christ-like. I know it's not a good thing. And sadly, it's it's carried over into my ministry, my, my church ministry and the radio ministry. This desire, this competitive desire to be the best, it's it's so frustrating. And it's 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 not what the Lord wants in me. And, and I was working through a passage of Scripture for a, a sermon at Calvary 316. I listened to a Bible study given by David Guzik. And man, the Lord, the Lord just worked me over. I'm not kidding. Just worked me up and down about this, this competitiveness. And... And just for some back backstory, uh, John and Jesus are ministering in the same part of the Jordan, the end of John chapter three, John the baptizer and Jesus. And it's during this season of ministry that Jesus's popularity begins to dwarf that of John. People start leaving John to go follow Jesus and John's disciples are kind of freaked out about it. And they come to him, they're like, like everyone's going to Jesus. And, and that means that, that, that they're leaving us and this is not good. And, and John, oh, he addresses this. He deals with this. He unpacks this. He lists five things why this competitiveness was silly and why it didn't bother him. And, and the first point, which we kind of began to build upon and we'll pick up, is that John wasn't bothered because he knew all ministry was a gift from God. He, he says a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. The truth is that John knew that he wasn't owed anything, that it, that it was only like the ministry in front of him... He, he was only included in it by God because of grace. Like he didn't earn the right. He didn't deserve the right. He had no claim to argue if God decided to change the ministry. Since God owned the work, John knew God could do whatever he wanted to with it. You know, I have discovered that when you lose sight of the reality, the ministry opportunity right in front of you is a gift from God. Oh, it is so easy to then get distracted and even discouraged by the opportunities that God either hasn't given you or worse yet has chosen to give to someone else. Like the simple fact remains that competitiveness quickly arises when we warp the origins and ownership of the ministry we've been given. Like I want you to know, whether you serve by like ushering or you come to church early to make coffee or to greet visitors, or you serve in the nursery, or you teach kids or work with the youth, sing on the worship team, volunteer in the media booth, open the service with with, with a welcome, or you are the guy that does the announcements or are part of the prayer team, or maybe you're listening, you're the guy that preaches the sermon. You need to know this right from the, from the, from the jump. Like whatever it is that you're involved with, it's that ministry opportunity exists for one reason. God gave it to you. Like, like always remember, because God's work isn't dependent on your involvement, if not for His amazing grace, you wouldn't be included at all. Like, you're only involved in the work because Jesus invited you to participate. Friends, seeing the opportunities that God has given you with such a perspective, it should spawn a profound appreciation for them because they were given. Once again, being raw, like confessional, like when I lose sight of the fact that the opportunity before me to teach God's word at Calvary 316 or to do this show is a gift that I have not earned, nor is it one that I deserve, 
but it's one that's been afforded to me by grace alone. When I lose sight of that, it's just, it, it then becomes so easy for me to get discouraged by the crowd that wasn't listening or wasn't in attendance or become envious of the crowd at the other church. And when this happens, it's easy to then despise what I've been given or to think that I deserve something more. Like John the baptizer had no problem with a diminishing ministry and was able to refuse this trap of a competitive outlook because he didn't have a false sense of entitlement. John knew that God didn't owe him a thing. So what right did he have to make demands or to be disappointed? Like never forget, whatever opportunity is in front of you is a gift given by God's grace. Now, the second point that John makes here is that he's not bothered by the dynamic because he was sure in his calling. Like verse 28 of John 3, this is what he says to his disciples. He says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. In John's situation, in the presence of Jesus' growing popularity and his waning notoriety, John wasn't alarmed or discouraged by what was happening because he knew that Jesus was the Christ and he wasn't. Like John knew that God had called him to be the forerunner, not the Messiah. And as a result, competition was silly. How can you compete with the Christ? Like John knew his place, and this is important, and he was 100% content with it. Like John knew that he was fulfilling his heavenly call. Like, please know, friend, that there are few things more freeing than being absolutely content with who you are and at peace with who you aren't. Like, it's absolutely liberating to know who God has called you to be and then filter everything you do through that particular calling. Christian, in my experience, man, there is nothing more frustrating than finding yourself in a ministry dynamic where you're trying to be someone you aren't or, or worse yet, trying to fulfill a calling that God has never given you. Like, not only is that is that unsustainable, but it's incredibly taxing. Like, let me give you a, just a few practical examples of this point. I have a dear friend who struggled as a worship leader. He was a great worship leader, by the way. But he struggled because he really felt his true calling was to be a senior pastor. And because he was trying to be what he wasn't, my friend eventually spent two years ineffective and completely miserable until he finally set out on his own to fulfill what God had called him to be. Like, like I know pastors who completely neglect their congregations. Their congregations are neglected because if that pastor was honest, he's actually been called to be a missionary overseas. Like in, in my own life. Like, I have to confess that for 10 years, while I absolutely loved being a youth pastor, I was probably the world's worst assistant pastor. Not only because I had to work for my dad, but being the number two, that wasn't my calling. It wasn't my gifting. Like, I was a square peg forcing myself into a round hole, and it took me years to admit that. Like, John found himself at peace because he knew who he was, he knew who he wasn't, and he was able to embrace his calling. Like John couldn't compete with Jesus's ministry because Jesus's calling was radically different than his own. And as such, John resisted this urge to be who he wasn't because he was confident in who God had called him to be. I know that I end up speaking out against the seeker-friendly church a lot, but as a pastor, there are times, especially times of struggle, when I look around and I think to myself, you know, man, Calvary 316 is just not going to be able to compete with, with that church. If we don't tweak this or, or tweak that, we need, we need a smoke machine coming out of the piano and laser lights. Like if we're going to be able to compete, that competition. And yet the truth is that it's in those moments I, I have to remind myself who I am and who I'm not. Like, I've got to be who God made me to be. i got to fulfill the calling that God has given me. I've got to trust the end result with Him. I can't be seeker-friendly. You know why? I'm really not that friendly. And that's the truth. The Outlaw Radio Show. Our heart is to be something different. 
Would the show be more popular if there were more platitudes? If we were a bit safer? Sure. But that's not us. And we got to be who God has called us to be and not try to be who we're not. Like, if you hate babies, but are a geek for coffee, like don't serve in the nursery at your church and instead maybe volunteer in the hospitality center or the coffee shop. Like, if you don't like interacting with people and prefer a computer screen, like don't try to be a greeter and instead work with the media team. Like, like John, the key is to know who you are not be someone you're not and just embrace your calling. Now now the third the third point that John makes is is that he wasn't bothered by this dynamic. He wasn't bothered he he could resist the competition because he never lost sight of his fundamental role. Like in John 3 verse 29 this is the point that John the baptizer makes to his disciples and and he uses an interesting illustration. He says, "He who has the bride is the bridegroom." But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Now, now don't miss John's point here. It's subtle, but it's significant. John exhibited great caution in how he reacted to the shifting dynamic because he was able to resist folly and competition, keeping the larger picture in mind. John was able to keep the, the big picture, the big picture. You see, he was keenly aware of everyone's role he saw jesus as the bridegroom he saw the hebrew people the object of his love as being the bride in this work that god initiated john knew that jesus as a result of this he possessed a special relationship with israel that he had no business interfering with like to his disciples john describes himself then and therefore his fundamental role as simply being the friend of the bridegroom the friend John knew it wasn't his role to be the center of attention, and he was honored to simply be a friend who stands and hears the bridegroom speak to his bride. You know, John John understood it would have been inappropriate for him to, to him to have been involved any more than he was. Jesus was to be the focal point. John only existed to play a supporting role. And when we come back from this break, I'm going to kind of apply that uh, as a pastor before speaking to it more universally. I love the way Pastor Zach is brutally honest on the Outlaw Radio Show. Today he's talking about competition, how that's rooted in pride, and how that affects family and ministry and all sorts of other things. I hope you'll stay with us as Pastor Zach continues to dive into this subject right here on the Outlaw Radio Show. If you're like me and you're in ministry in some capacity, today's edition of the Outlaw Radio Show really hits home. Now, here's Pastor Zach with more. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams. Talking about competitiveness and some of the things that the Lord's been speaking to me through a passage of Scripture at the end of John chapter 3. John the baptizer and Jesus are ministering in the same place reaching the same group of people, and Jesus' popularity begins to dwarf that of John's. And so John's disciples come to come to him, and, and they're like, they're freaking out about it. We're losing followers. What's going on? And John's not bothered by the dynamic at all. Now, now the point that we kind of left off um, in our last block is that, is that John w- wasn't bothered by Jesus' increased popularity because he understood his role. Jesus was the bridegroom. The people of Israel uh, were the bride. John was just a friend. And it was that perspective that allowed John to keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus and his relationship with the bride, that was to be the center of attention. John was just uh, playing a supporting role. Now, Now, let me speak kind of from a personal pastoral angle and way of application. Before I, before I get to a more universal, you know, uh, application of this idea. Like, understand that there is nothing more dangerous in the life of a pastor than when he forgets he's simply the friend of the bridegroom. Like, beyond the reality that a pastor doesn't own the ministry because it's a gift given by God, we talked about that earlier in the show, but Jesus is presented as the groom and the church is his bride, not mine or a pastor. And the sad truth is that pastors find themselves in grave trouble when they end up having an affair with the church. And I mean it the way it comes across. Instead of the focus of that man's attention 
being centered on his own family, what happens over time is that the church begins to consume his time, energy, love, and even his passion. Not only does does this end up uh, his cheating, leaving a wife at home that feels neglected, but you know what ends up taking place? His kids hate the church for one reason. It's his mistress, their dad's mistress. And I could go off and do a whole show on this point, but but this really is the reason that so many pastors' kids end up rejecting the church as soon as they're able. As soon as they're given the opportunity, they're out. Like They hate the church because it took their dad away from the home and became a source of pain for their mother. I am a PK, and I am so thankful that my dad never cheated on my mom with Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain. The other danger behind such a dynamic is that the other woman the pastor's having an affair with is not a single lady. Like she happens to be married. Not only then is, is the pastor neglecting his own wife at home, but he's flirting. He's hitting on the bride of Christ. And like any husband, Jesus doesn't react very well to this. As the pastor of Calvary 316, like it's in, it's paramount that I always remember the church is not mine, but that I'm married to Jessica not the church. Like Jesus is the groom and he possesses a special relationship with the people that come to our church. Like John, I'm just the friend, the friend of the bridegroom entrusted with an important but limited role and heaven forbid Jesus ever catches me flirting around with my wife. Now I know that 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 is more of an application for pastors, but let me apply this principle of of understanding your role being important uh, and more of a universal concept, like how it applies to all of us. Like, Like never give, never forget, as a Christian, you, like you've been given roles by God that you've been charged to fill. Like if you're a husband, your role is to love your wife as Christ loves the sh- loves the church. Now that doesn't mean you're to be Jesus in her life, but to reflect Jesus in the way that you love her. If you're a parent, your role as a mom or a dad in the life of your child is to illustrate for them the person of God. Your job is not to be God in their life, but to demonstrate either either God's feminine tenderness, the Shaddai, or His masculine strength, the L. El Shaddai. Like your child is to learn about God's love and his amazing grace through the interactions they have with you. That's your role as a parent. But beyond all that, as just Christians, like there should never be a a competitiveness among us because we all share the same responsibility. Our role on this earth is to be salt and light. Our role until we're called home is to be a witness, servants of the king, ambassadors of heaven. We aren't called to be Jesus. But we are called to reflect Jesus' light into the darkness. Like, never forget, friend, how all this ends up, like how you're evaluated in the end. You're either going to hear Jesus say, depart, because I never knew you, and and that ends badly. Or you want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, since the ministry is not ours, like it's a gift from God, right? Never forget the results of the ministry aren't credited to you either. Like, you're going to be judged in heaven on your faithfulness, not your accomplishments. John. John was fine with a diminishing ministry because all things considered, he knew his role as the friend was to be out of the way so that the groom and his bride could be the center of attention. He was just a bystander, and as long as Jesus was the focal point, he was content with the role that he had been given. Fourthly, John wasn't bothered by this dynamic because his joy was based in the right thing. In in John 3.29, this is what he says to his disciples, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. John's disciples were discouraged because they were losing the crowd to Jesus. (laughs) The irony is it was that very dynamic that filled John with so much joy. Like he was ecstatic about it. You see, John's joy was not deterred, but was instead fulfilled because he knew his opportunities were a gift from God. He was was content and at peace with his calling. He kept his heavenly role in perspective, but more than anything, he loved seeing Jesus exalted. One pastor I listened to, he said this concerning John's reaction. John lost his congregation to Jesus and he was happy about it. Like, speaking candidly, a confession between you and I, 
as a pastor, I, I struggle with depression related to the ministry. Truth be told, most every pastor does. It's called the Monday blues. Like church, church life, ministry, it can be an emotional roller coaster. Like a, a packed house on Sunday morning, man, and I drive home feeling euphoric. <laughs> a light crowd, and I drive home depressed, wondering what in the world am I doing with my life? When tithing is up at the church, man, I feel like we're finally getting somewhere. We're finally turning the corner. But when tithing dips, I start working on my resume. Like there's no high. Like seeing someone finally make a decision to go all in and follow Jesus. But but when you watch that person then leave the church, man, it's a gut punch. Like it zaps all the wind from your sails. And again, it's in those moments, if I'm just being honest, that that spirit of competition arises. I start envying the success of the mega church across town. Or I grow jealous of their new building project or the fact their parking lot is so big they need golf carts to get people to the door on time. I want golf carts. Discontent. Jealousy. They quickly give way to an animus that robs me of joy. That's wrong. Like It shouldn't be the case because my joy, your joy, it should be found not in the results of the ministry, but it should be found in Jesus. And just the fact that he's given me a job to do, that I'm just to be faithful. You know, this is the danger of competitiveness over such things and why such a perspective is insane. Like John's disciples, what were they really discouraged about? They were bummed out people were coming to Jesus, right? It's insane. People are going to Jesus, and this is a problem. Like when I was when I was working on this study, it was in that moment that I just I had to repent of such a rotten attitude. Like it it should bring me joy when 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 people are encountering Jesus and other churches not pastored by this moron. Finally, John wasn't bothered by this dynamic, and he refused to be competitive. Because he kept the main thing, the main thing. When we come back from our break, that's the, the, the point that we're going to kind of wrap up. G- John makes an incredible statement. Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. With the time that I have left in this block, though, I do want to let you know that, that we want to connect with you, the listening audience. And there are a few ways that you can do this. Uh, email Our email address is, is info at outlawradio.org. You can send us an an, an email. Uh, You can reach out to us. Follow us on Facebook, The Radio Outlaw, facebook.com, The Radio Outlaw. Or if you're on Twitter, our handle is at radio underscore outlaw. We'd love to hear from you, your comments, your questions, your feedback, uh, your complaints, your criticisms. It's all game. Our phone number is also 678-883-3316. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here with The Outlaw Radio Show. One of the missions of Outlaw Radio is to bring your attention to ministry resources that will benefit your personal study of the Bible and spiritual growth. With this in mind, we want you to check out Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Not only is their vision to help the thinker believe, but they exist to help the believer think. To accomplish both of these aims, their website, rzim.org, is filled with tons of free resources aimed at not only answering your own difficult questions, but with the intention of providing the necessary tools to defend your faith in an ever-growing hostile world. Once again, you can learn more about Ravi Zacharias International Ministries by visiting rzim.org. That's rzim.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams. Our final point as we've been unpacking why John wasn't bothered by Jesus' growing popularity, nor nor did he fall prey to this this spirit of competition within ministry, something that I've, I've been struggling with. And that's the fact that he was willing to keep the main thing the main thing. Like in verse 30 of John chapter 3, John makes this most incredible statement to his disciples. He says, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Now, Though we understand the practical nature of what John is saying in relation to the dynamic on the ground, like that statement, it's theologically revolutionary. Like John wisely understood 
that these two ideas were completely tethered together, Jesus increasing and self decreasing. You see, one cannot happen without the other and vice versa. If Jesus increases, self will automatically decrease. And if self increases, Jesus will then decrease. Paul made a similar statement. He says, I I walk in the spirit and the flesh is kept at bay. Or if I flesh out, I minimize the role of the Holy Spirit. Because John rightly grasped this spiritual reality, he declares, I must decrease. Why? So that Jesus must increase. And the word must, it's more than just emphatic. Like it communicated absolute and essential necessity. And in many ways, what John is presenting is so applicational because it's a formula. If Jesus' blank increases, self's fill-in-the-blank decreases. Like, for example, if Jesus' authority over your life increases, your authority over your life will naturally decrease. If Jesus' influence in your, in your marriage increases, your influence over your marriage decreases. Like, the point here is that one determines the other. You know, as you play around with this formula, like keep in mind that the fundamental question that this verse presents, he must increase, but I must decrease. Like the fundamental question at the root of John's statement is really this one. Does the situation that you face right now, like whatever that happens to be, does that situation need more of Jesus or more of you? I, I know that's heavy, right? Like, if you're listening to this and you're struggling in your marriage, your marriage is on the rocks, things have not been well, like, don't play the blame game, take responsibility, identify your part, of, your part in the problem, and then ask yourself, as you begin to examine or look for a remedy or solution, what does your marriage really need more of? You, the problem, or Jesus. Like if you're at work and you're struggling with your boss, struggling with the work dynamic, struggling with being a witness, struggling with just not losing your mind. Like what does your job need more of? More of you or more of Jesus? Your parenting skills. What does your parent, what does your relationship with your son need more of? More of Jesus or you? Like, like whatever it happens to be, In order for you to decrease, Jesus must increase. And for Jesus to increase, friend, you got to get out of the way. And this is what John is saying. Like, like John recognized that for Jesus' popularity to increase, which as the groom, that that was what was important. It was then essential that John's popularity decrease. His disciples come to him and they're freaking out. We're losing all these followers. Jesus is getting popular. What's going on, John? We got to do something about it. And John's like, yo, calm down. This is the, that's the plan. We want Jesus' popularity to increase. And as a result, there's only so many people. I've got to get out of the way. My popularity has to decrease. My presence, truth be told, ends up being more of a detriment than anything else. And once again, this really does, this idea, it, it ties into the underlying issue of, of competition. You know, and this is, this is speaking to me too. Like in, in the Christian world, like it's, it's really hard to be competitive with another human being when you realize no human being but Jesus even matters. You see, that's kind of the core exhortation that John gives to his disciples. Like, like their struggle, their struggle was because they lost sight of the main thing. The main thing was for Jesus to be exalted, for Jesus the Messiah, the spotless Lamb of God, to be exalted and glorified above all else. You see, in, in the presence of a group of disciples that were struggling with the trappings of competitiveness. And this is what the Lord has been speaking to me. John's exhortation to them is the exhortation that that the Lord gave to me and that I'm passing along to you if you struggle with similar things. First and foremost, please always remember, 
Every ministry opportunity, it's a gift that you don't deserve, merit, warrant. Like every ministry opportunity in front of you is just a gift that is given because God loves you and he wants to include you. It's a gift from God. You're not entitled to anything. So often, we get so discouraged because we're th- we think we're entitled to something more. Like I had a friend rebuke me once when I was complaining, and he said, Zach, do you really want the basis of your relationship with God to be on what you deserve? Like, is that the game you want to play? No, man. Heaven forbid, right? Because what do I deserve? I deserve separation. I deserve hell and torment. I don't deserve anything good. I'm not entitled to anything. You see, the other thing is that you've got to be content with who God made you. You got to be content with who he didn't make you. And you got to be at peace in your unique calling. Like, don't try to be a square peg in a round hole. If God has called you and equipped you for for such a thing, be comfortable with that. Like, I am not an evangelist. I, I see churches where, man, hundreds of people are getting saved and there's there's 50 baptisms every Sunday. And I'm like, why not me? Well, that's my, my calling. Like, my, my call is really for Christians to teach and to equip, to expound on God's word. Yeah, there's an element of evangelism that, that kind of happens on, almost on accident, but I'm not an evangelist. That's not my gifting. It's like the, the old adage, you know, does, does a, a tree, when it falls in the forest, if no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound? I feel that way with my own altar calls. Like, it's just not, it's awkward for me. I'm a pastor teacher and I've got to be okay with that. And I also can never forget what my heavenly role is. Like when it's all said and done, I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. Being a servant, it doesn't matter the result. It matters the process. Like I will be evaluated by being faithful, not on my accomplishments, And aside from that, aside from the church or whatever ministry, I'm going to be evaluated on, was I a faithful husband? Was I a faithful father? Before being a pastor or anything else. Like, we've always got to remember that. And and then we we always need to know that seeing Jesus exalted should be the, the, the basis for our joy. When I see that church exploding at the seams and, and conversions increasing like instead of feeling bummed out that that's not my church i should i should just check myself and glorify god i'm so glad jesus that you're being glorified in this community and you know we always have to keep the main thing the main thing jesus must increase and we must get out of the way like the truth and in light of my sin of falling falling into the trap of possessing this competitive spirit What my community needs, what my wife needs, what my children need, the truth, they need a whole lot less of Zach Adams and a whole lot more of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? And it's the same with you, by the way. The competitiveness is based in flesh, pride, ego. It centers on that unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. The only remedy to this is that I must decrease so that Jesus can increase. Well, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. If you like what you heard, I want to encourage you to do two things. We say this at the end of every show, and it's it's because it's important. First, contact your local station and just tell them you're thankful that they're carrying the Outlaw Radio Show in your area. Being a station manager, it's a thankless job. These guys are not making a lot of money. This is really a ministry opportunity. It's a gift that God has given them, and they're being faithful over. Second thing I want to encourage you to do, though, is to visit our website, which is outlawradio.org. Once again, outlawradio.org. From the site, you can easily find out where the Outlaw Radio Show is on, but you can find our podcast. It's available on iTunes, Google Play. You can listen again to this episode in its entirety or any of the previous episodes of the Outlaw Radio Show or any of our other media content. Once again, find us on Twitter, Facebook. My name is Zach Adams. I hope you join me again this time next week for the Outlaw Radio Show.
You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.